Hey, Pivot listeners. I wanted to let you know about the Blind Tiger Record Club podcast. It's a new show for vinyl and music lovers with roundtable discussions of the latest album releases and reissues. The hosts, David and Greg, sit down with a wide range of guests, including artists and music industry vets, to talk about their favorite current records. The first episode is called Best Vinyl of 2017, and it's available now. Download and subscribe using the link in the show notes. And stay tuned because I know there's a special episode coming up very soon with this podcast host and one of his former guests that I know you're going to love. I did because I got to talk about my favorite record for a long time. Blind Tiger Record Club, your vinyl, your choice. From Nashville, Tennessee, this is The Pivot, stories of people who've made a change. Welcome to The Pivot. My name is Andrew Osinga, and this is the last episode of Season 2. What? Gasp! Shock! Oh no, what are we going to do without you? Well, you're going to wait. Uh, <laughs> sorry. So, uh, so this is the end of our season, and that's because I recorded a bunch of interviews late last year and have been releasing them uh, since November. And now we got to the end of that batch, and been so busy in the studio and on the road, which is a good thing that I haven't had uh, time to do the next interviews. So one man shop, this is what we get. Uh, but I have a bunch of great, great guests lined up for season three. And a lot of those interviews are going to be happening in April and May. So we should be back mid April. And I'm really looking forward to uh, this next round of conversations. But I'm really excited for you to get to hear uh, this conversation with my friend Rob Wheeler. So there's the story that I've heard a few times about uh, blind people describing an elephant. And one describes the trunk, one describes the legs, one describes the tail, one describes the belly. And they all think that they're describing the full creature, but they haven't seen the entirety of the elephant. And so while their descriptions are true, they're not complete. I had probably eight different people tell me, you've got to meet this guy, Rob Wheeler. Hey, you've got to meet this guy, Rob. Hey, you, there's this guy who just moved to town. You've got to meet him. And it wasn't until I met him that I realized uh, that they were all talking about the same person and that he just is this multifaceted individual. And uh, we immediately hit it off, and I have loved my conversations with Rob. So Rob and I actually did an interview in November. And then about a month ago, I got a text from him uh, letting me know that uh, job stuff had changed for him. And... Um, he was having to pivot again. So I thought, well, we start, we spent so much time talking about what you what you came to Nashville to do, and now you're going to be doing something else. And so let's do another one. So he came over here to the art house, and we had a second conversation, which I think was better than the first. So I'm going to play you uh, the conversation that we had just a few days ago, and then stay tuned because I'm going to play you a bit of that first conversation that I have thought about so many times and thought it was so wonderful. So um, it's a two-parter. Woo! Um, so Rob is a dear person. He is one of the smartest people I have ever run across. And um, he's deeply encouraging and appreciative of art and community and has just said some really, really kind and wonderful things to me uh, in the past year. And I'm so thankful uh, for this new friendship. And I know you're going to really enjoy just the wisdom and the humor. 
uh, <laughs> of this interview. And I thought it was a really fitting way to end this second season. So thank you guys so much uh, for listening this season. Um, we have a couple sponsors that we're talking with for the next season, but if you uh, are interested in helping sponsor um, the third season of The Pivot, I would love to talk to you. So please send me an email. Uh, also, I've got a few shows in uh, Chicago, Elgin, Illinois, Indianapolis, uh, Crown Point, Indiana, April 5th through 8th. Uh, you can find all those at andrewosinga.com slash tour. But there are a bunch of shows coming up rest of April and May. I'm talking about Nebraska. I'm talking about Kansas City and St. Louis. I'm talking about Charlottesville, Virginia, Wake Forest, North Carolina, Cincinnati, Flint, Michigan uh, are all places that I will be April and May. Uh, andrewosinga.com slash tour to find out about those shows. Would love to see you there. All right, well, now it's time for uh, the second conversation I had with my friend Rob Wheeler. Stay tuned um, for 1B uh, after this one. Friends, the National Worship Leader Conference is coming up this May, and I want to tell you about another special opportunity they have. It's the chance to spend 10 minutes one-on-one with a hit songwriter, uh, Matt Armstrong, a friend of mine. Uh, He's written songs with Chris Tomlin, Casting Crowns, Carrie Job. He's a fantastic songwriter, great dude. He's ready to hear your lyrics and give you specific feedback. If you want to sign up for some time with him, uh, you're going to need to register for the conference, and you should be doing that anyway. You can do that at worshipleader.com. Again, that conference is here in Nashville, May 7th through 9th, worshipleader.com. Located in beautiful Franklin, Tennessee, New College Franklin is a four-year Christian liberal arts college dedicated to excellent academics and discipling relationships among students and faculty. They seek to enrich and disciple students intellectually, physically, emotionally, and spiritually, to guide them to wisdom and a life of service to God, neighbors, and creation. It's a sacred space where intellectual development occurs through conversation in small classroom settings covering the great works of literature, philosophy, and theology. For more, please visit newcollegefranklin.org. Thank you for coming back over. Yeah, it's it's an honor to get to have a conversation, whether it's recorded or not. Well, I feel the same. Um, yeah, okay. You have like a thousand things that you've done. Yeah. Th- Every time I talk to you, you drop like another country that you lived in, and I went, I need to ask him how he ended up in Russia. So right. we'll get there. But let's start with, I met you this past year because probably 12 different people were telling me, you got to meet this guy named Rob. This guy named Rob just moved to town. You should meet Rob. Now, who is Rob? And then, in fact, the first time I met you, uh, you were wearing a pink dress, <laughs> and uh, I, I realized that you could, you know, you have editing power. But uh, I saw this guy. It was a costume party, and there was this guy wearing a pink dress. And you know, I thought anyone that can pull that off, the courage. That's that's a holding holding a box of Egos. Yes, a, that's a guy. Stranger things. Were you? Oh, yeah. that's right. Yeah, I, yeah there was a context. I, actually, I don't think I, I don't think I made that context. I just got the, <laughs> the pink dress. I just didn't realize you were. Uh, it was that is that character named Seven? Uh, yeah. No, Eleven. Oh, uh, yeah. yeah. Oh, I knew it was a number. Anyway, I didn't know that you were Eleven. I I just thought there's a there's a confident man. <laughs> well. So it was fun to meet you at, yes. at a costume party, but uh, but you had then, just moved to town at that point. Yeah, we had uh, we had not been here very long, and uh, 
so yeah, a lot of friends in common. And I guess the first time we had a, a good conversation at the Hutchmoot conference. Yeah. And uh, felt like here's a here's and learned a, that we were neighbors that we yes, lived down the street. Yeah. Live on what, the same okay, street. so what brought you to Nashville? So my wife Lisa is from Nashville, so she's a long one of the few longtime Nashvilleans. Most people have moved here in the last few years. That that seem seems like I meet most of the people that I meet here have just moved here recently, or in the last few years. So Lisa's a long time lived her whole life mostly in Nashville. So we have. Her mother is here. She's a widow, and um, her brother, and we have a whole whole load of cousins. Our kids' cousins are in Nashville. So we had completed uh, our studies at Covenant Theological Seminary, did um, two two degrees at Covenant. Uh, in then, St. Louis? Yep, that's right. And then we moved to England for about a year and did a training residency with Labrie Fellowship, so, okay, so I, want come, I want to come back to that. Right, and, and engaging that with uh, hospitality and ideas and welcoming anyone that, that came to for a space of kind of rest and wrestling um, together in community. So we weren't sure if we would live there longer term or if we would return back to our our native, our native, our motherland, and uh, live somewhere. We had sort of in mind Lexington, Kentucky, Memphis, Tennessee, Nashville, Tennessee, because those three cities we had family and, and past connections. So then I was con- when we lived in England. I was contacted by a mentor and friend and the president of Covenant Seminary that explained they were hoping to, or they were in the midst of launching a site in Nashville, and they were interested in having me come. Uh, lead that charge, kind of be the first boots on the ground with a seminary site in Nashville. So that's sort of, we were sensing, a, you know, a, a, it was time for us to come back to this region and the the role opened up in Nashville and something that felt like a good fit uh, for the time being. And so that's what got us kind of St. Louis, England, and then Nashville. We've been here. This summer will be two years. Okay. And so you came... To, to was it to start a university to start a, a campus of yeah. a university? It had started about, about a, it a had, seminary, right? It had been started about a year before I got here, and they were just they were sensing that they needed representation on the ground, people to meet with prospective students, people to meet with local pastors, host the professors when they came into St. Louis for sort of the teaching. So I was sort of an ambassador between Covenant Theological Seminary and the city of Nashville, gotcha. and so they um, you know gave me the opportunity to meet really hundreds and hundreds of people in Nashville that I think were very like-minded and in faith and attempting to integrate faith in art and faith in vocation, faith in every aspect of life. And so it was a, uh, it's been a wonderful two years and I'll wrap up here in the next uh, couple of weeks, that role. Okay. And then, uh, yeah, new, new, exciting, a new pivot. Yeah. That I'm, I'm well, let, excited let, about. Let's get there in a minute, but I want to go back to, uh, you talked about living in England at Labrie, uh, which I've heard various people talk about over the years, but um, I'd love for you to tell us a bit about what that is. And you've brought Labrie to Nashville. Right. Not, I mean, it's not sort of officially, it's, it's associated with Labrie, but not in sort of an official context. Okay. We lived there for a year. And, and what is what is Labrie? Yeah. Labrie was started in the 50s by couple, uh, Francis and Edith Schaefer. Uh, uh, Francis Schaefer was a pastor in St. Louis, 
and he was charged with going and checking out sort of post-war Europe. So he went as a representative of his, his denomination to see what life was like immediately after World War II. He came back, uh, shared with his, his denomination, and uh, sensed a leading to go and, and move there full-time and work with children. So in the process of sort of starting uh, churches or you know, hoping to start churches and children's ministries uh, in Switzerland, his daughter went away to college and she met someone that was having existential questions about life, uh, struggling to kind of make sense of, of, of the world. And Francis Schaeffer's daughter said, you've got to come talk to my father. Mm. So one weekend they came and began these sort of table conversations and it sort of went you know, one person and then two people and then five people. And eventually people would come and live with them for a season uh, as a guest or as a student, um, not sort of an official university or, or seminary, but a season of study. Eventually those got sort of broken in a three-month uh, a term would be someone could come for a maximum of three months of study, uh, half a day of work, which is usually gardening or cleaning or cooking, preparing the meals for the... For, like for, real, like just menial, hands-in-the-dirt work. Yeah, yeah. There was some uh, stuff when, when the year we lived there, there were, they were doing some computer work with sort of setting up a library, but most of the time, yeah, it's very, it's sort of your work. But not, not necessarily, I think I always pictured like, oh, it's just reading and tea. There is a lot of that reading came and tea. Probably more condescending <laughs> yeah. than I meant. It. Well, well, if you if you like reading and tea, you'll probably find that like you'll, really, you'll find that really great. So half of but, the, but I think it's cool that 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 people are spending half their day right. Their work sustains the using community. their body, using their muscles, using their mind. Right. Yeah. That, that's actually a very important part of it. And often you're working alongside someone, so some of the best conversations come as you're out sort of weeding or gardening or, or cooking with someone. Uh, so a lot of the a lot of mm. the conversations happen in the context of just doing something that you're you're focused on something else, not necessarily just yeah. the conversation at hand. So it, it was a very special place for us having been we had been worked with college students in campus ministry. I'd worked as a counselor, I'd worked in a pastoral internship and sort of as a missionary. And this just felt like for our stage um, and culture of the world at the moment and our sort of personal temperament, my wife and I, it felt like this is something special. Mm-hmm. And when we came to Nashville, we reached a number of, we had made friends with a number of the trustees of Labrie. And after being back here a couple of months, it just felt like we were, every rock we would turn over, there was someone else that we felt they need to have a space to process uh, the way people normally do it at Labrie. We kept finding people that had um, just questions about life, questions about integrating life and work and life uh, and, and faith and art and uh, how should sort of a Trinitarian believer approach architecture or art mm. or business or family. And those were conversations we had six days a week at yeah. Labrie and felt like, Hey, would you mind if we sort of used your name and your ethos and started a little Friends of Labrie group in Nashville? We had heard that there was a, a Friends of Labrie in Brazil and a Friends of Labrie in South Africa, and we asked, could we start a similar group in, in Nashville? And they weren't, you know, they they said we don't want to uh, quench if if 
you know, our, our, our worldview is that God's spirit is at work in the world and we don't want to quench that. If you want to give it a shot, you know, we entrust you to at least try that. But they, I, I wouldn't say it, it means that they're thinking about bringing a Labrie branch to and Nashville. And Labrie meaning or, like, by that you mean like a, a building. Like yeah, a, a branch, a home, a yeah. home where there are, are folks, essentially families living in community that welcome strangers. Mm. Uh, so they, they, I would say, they take that charge of of welcoming strangers very seriously and very practically, and they welcome. They actually pray that the Lord would bring the people of His choosing, and keep all others away. So when when you arrive on their in their home, uh, they treat you as if you're an answer to prayer, and mm. they show great dignity and care for every person that walks through their door. That person may may get on their last nerve, but they <laughs> welcome them as an answer to prayer. And there's it's rich with conversation and hospitality and welcome. And uh, it, they've chosen very idyllic locations around the world. They have a branch in Switzerland, the one we lived when it was in England. They have a branch uh, in uh, up near Vancouver, around Boston, Rochester, Minnesota, one in Brazil, in, in Korea, South Africa. So they have these beautiful locations. And uh, one in the Netherlands, our family has been to the one in the, in the Netherlands. That's a tongue twister. <laughs> and um, they're sort of idyllic locations, but people come to process uh, often deep disappointments, uh, deep frustrations, sadness, or address a big question that they've been thinking about for a season. And so often when people come, it, it's not idyllic. They often might have nightmares. They might have... Uh, space now to process some things that they had never given time to mm-hmm. in other stages of their life. So kind of beautiful places, but welcoming people with whatever addictions or concerns or disappointments um, they've had. It When you gather people and you ask them to be honest and take every question, every struggle seriously, it's not, it's not idyllic. It's it's a beautiful place, and the conversations are rich. But oftentimes, it's a it's a big time of transition in people's lives. Yeah, and we kept meeting people that we felt would be blessed by that type of presence in Nashville. And so we're not quite sure if it would ever end up being something, you know, larger than what it is now. We started with monthly, uh, kind of mealtime discussions, welcoming someone. You've yeah. been to, to at least a couple of those, and I know your friends have have participated. And then now we're adding in a, a weekly day of prayer. So oh, really? uh, praying for musicians as they go out on the road and, and uh, praying that, that you know, maybe there would be a, a location, a place to welcome people. And then, um, yeah, praying for people's sort of individual concerns. So That's monthly mealtime discussions and weekly times of prayer is sort of where we are right now. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll see step by step. Labrie has never Labrie has never been one uh, to have a master plan, but rather just sort of see what the next faithful thing might be. And we would love to carry a little bit of that ethos, yeah, in Nashville. I mean, let's be honest; that's a good way to live, in any way, isn't it? To, right. I think what, moment by moment, brings, yeah, yeah, moment by moment was. Um, Sort of always a key theme in the in the life of the Schaefers and then subsequent um, workers of Labrie is 
living with a moment, moment trust in God, that he is active in the world, that he is um, providing our life. Hmm. So, so what does that look like for you now that your time at Covenant is closing? You moved here for that role. Right. And they don't need that role anymore. So now, now what does it look like for you? Well, both what are you doing and how are you processing what that? Okay, let yeah, which two, are two different questions. Maybe we'll go sort of the practical route sure. and then the, and then the processing. So, practically speaking, there was a group, actually two brothers, uh, Andrew and Pete Peterson, that have started this group here called the Rabbit Room. It involves, we have a number of, you and I have a number of friends in common that have been in those circles and been in those conversations. And uh, a number of years ago, they started a press. Uh, I think they have around 50 books under their sort of banner. And then uh, working with musicians and artists and really feeling that um, community and formation, Christian community and Christian formation would grow in a context of music, story, and art. That art could... um, really enhance the community and community could enhance the art in, in a local way. And so I guess as we were running along uh, with what I was doing with Covenant and some, you know, the, the volunteer work with Friends of Labrie, we were kind of looking at each other with the rabbit room, these two guys and their their staff and friends. And we were kind of running in the same circles. We believed a lot of the same things, had a lot of the same passions. And so as uh they found out the the role at Covenant was coming to an end. We began uh, meeting together and and talking about what could be next. And as you know, I think in the life of a singer, songwriter, a musician, or any artist, um, a novelist, or someone in the visual arts, every day is almost an entrepreneurial venture. <laughs> yes. I have to sort of wake uh, yeah. up today. And, a, and an existential crisis. Right. Yes. So I, I need to write a song today, and then I need to write a song tomorrow. And mm-hmm. then when I have 12 of them, I need to make an album. And, I, and there's this sort of um, cycle that maybe other people in the world don't realize or, or don't don't experience quite the same way. And so we were in one conversation there in the, uh, you, you know, um, Andrew's office, and he just stands up and he says, "Well, let's just let's just do this together for a year, and just see if we like it." Hmm. And you know, I thought that's kind of the way an artist approaches things. They 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 get an idea, and at some point they just have to say, "All right, let's yeah, let, let's give this a shot." We've been talking about it over several hours. Let's you know, let's give it a shot. And we, at that point, had a number of friends in common. Andrew had been uh, to the to the Labrie branch in Switzerland and the and the Labrie branch in England and gotten a little taste. And so we thought, well, let's think about local kind of community building. They have a wonderful conference each year called Hutchmoot, sort of a four-day conference with um, wonderful uh, lectures and symposiums and meals together and people making pottery and 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 visual art. It's just uh, groups of songwriters kind of gathered around uh, sharing their their work. It's just a beautiful four days. And then they have a local show that's every couple of weeks through a season in Nashville. But they were feeling like we would really like to expand our, our if we talk about Christian community and, and uh, Christian formation in Nashville, what does that look like? Would you help us kind of think through that and begin to plan some things in Nashville? And then alongside that, I've said linked but distinct, Mm. Uh, have 
Friends of Labrie gatherings where we would really uh, try to um, carry some of that ethos that we learned uh, through life at Labrie and have have you know, guest visitors and um, film discussions, small group, you know, meal discussions. So a lot around hospitality, welcoming people. And so as people have come, you know, you've participated. Often people will say, "Could I? Could I bring my brother? Could I bring my my spouse? Mm-hmm. Could I bring a friend from work?" And so it's just kind of grown. Uh, word of mouth, and so we we kind of are having seems like one or two gatherings per month um, with that. So so yeah, and so your work with the Rabbit Room now. So does that mean are you on staff with the Rabbit Room? Uh, yeah, I guess I've we've kind of landed at kind of twenty to thirty hours okay. uh, working with them as sort of uh, I guess leader of thinking about local local community. Yeah, and so we've had some opportunities to interact with some of the local colleges and universities here. And uh, there's lots of artists in their circles of, of all sorts that are actually local here in Nashville. So I think we're just starting to explore in this kind of weekly day of prayer together. That's sort of our first out of the gate. But I think we'll continue to have some things that are under the banner of the Rabbit Room, some things that are under the banner of Friends of Liberty Nashville, and then maybe some things that are kind of co- you know, co-sponsored the same with, with both crowds coming together for something that's a little bit larger. Those are some really cool things that you're stepping into. Right. As you step out of what seems from the surface like a pretty cool thing. Um, how have you how have you processed this transition? I mean, did you did you have this rabbit room thing and other work kind of lined up while you were at Covenant or did it did you was there a moment when you went, "Oh no, I have to figure out what's next again?" Yeah, um I think there was something um into me that was drawn to the work they were doing. I'm not sort of a professional artist, but I saw how beauty and creativity of all sorts, even if it's not what sort of pays your bills, it's not your profession so to speak, but seeing the way that, that beauty and art and creation were something that maybe we put on the back burner as extra or superfluous. And if we get a time for that, that'd be fine. But I, I had a longing to bring that front and center in in ministry and in, in counseling and conversations and, and uh, how people might be persuaded to see sort of our our perspective of the world. So I had that uh, relationship that was continued to grow with those guys. And then what was happening with the seminary was just sort of um, overall from the, I would say the whole state of theological education right now is in a lot of flux with a lot of transition toward online programs Mm. and online offerings. And so the seminary was moving in a direction of investing quite heavily in online and hybrid programs where people could study not just in Nashville or St. Louis, but could study really all over the world and then come uh, potentially to St. Louis for some one-week intensive face-to-face time, which and, you know we, we've always had professors driving or flying from St. Louis to Nashville, oh, really? sort of reverse that and have um, – Offerings. I hope in the future there will be continued offerings in Nashville, but I suspect 
that a big emphasis would be these offerings either online or in St. Louis. So people, not just from Nashville, but from all over the country or, or possibly even other parts of the world could uh, study at uh, study the, the um, a theological degree where mm-hmm. they are and then have these shorter residencies a week at a time in St. Louis. And, so and Covenant is the... The PCA Presbyterian Church. That's right. In it's, it's affiliated with the Presbyterian Church in America, and it, but it, it certainly appeals to, um, I would say, many sort of in the in the Reformed tradition that are are interested in studying the Bible. The the degree there, the, the the pastoral training degree, is called an MDiv, and students engage with the original languages, Greek and Hebrew, all sorts of biblical theology, pastoral. Um, pastoral theology, counseling, preaching. So, yeah, it's and, and I would say sort of another large block would be the counseling students. There's a lot of, there's a number of MDiv, lots of, there's lots of MDiv, lots of MAC, and then that's a, s- several. What very, is MAC? That's, that's the Master of Arts in Counseling. Okay, so. and that's, you have, because you have a counseling degree. Right, right. right. I, did, I did the uh, pastoral degree, the MDiv, and I did the Master of Arts in Counseling. And then there's several other MAs, that are sort of focused on different, have different sort of tracks in that that Master of Arts. Hmm. So as I was talking with the, the president and, and the dean of academics, and we were sort of wrestling through what this next stage was looking like, it felt like we needed more. Uh, they've hired a dean of online education, someone to give a lot of emphasis to sort of the whole, and yeah. then this uh, the role as, of director in Nashville wasn't as critical with this new yeah. sort of arrangement. So facing that and So did you kind of see that coming? I, I I sort of saw it coming, but I think when it actually went down, it still there was quite a lot of vulnerability and um real um yeah questioning. How can like I thought that this seemed like such a great um way in which I was stewarding my energies and yet now to see, yeah, there is a bigger picture. Our number of credit hours was dec- you know was decreasing, and it felt like we did need there. There had to be some either massive shift in our expectations or massive shift in sort of the way we were doing things. So it felt like this um, this has to happen. But I don't know what that means for my family. I don't know what that means for uh, for one one stage to come to an end and another stage to start. There there. I think anyone that listens to your podcast and relates to the pivot part is many of them are, are feeling that or have felt that they're trying to make sense of that transitional period. And so I think, you know, well, you and I know one another outside of this context. So we, we can sort of <laughs> smile and go, yeah, it's significant. Yeah, we've had many conversations. Yeah. About that. And, yeah. and you've named a podcast, you've named a podcast about it. And, uh, there's, um, yeah, vulnerability and dependence and weakness in that season, and I think that can can cause us um, anxiety. It can cause us all sorts of um, issues, but it also maybe I think strengthens us in some ways and and shapes our hearts. And hopefully, we have people, you know, friends or spouses or um, a counselor or a mentor of some sort. To, to talk out loud about what this what this means identity wise to not sort of have this this role now and then be tr- transitioning to something new and 
yeah, lots of unknowns, lots of unexpected vulnerability, but I think I think it's an important um, to to sort of make a narrative as to how that came about and maybe what what we were being taught, what we we were being asked to learn through that process. Yeah, does that make sense? Yeah, Do, and I mean, I'm sure for. For most of the people listening, I know for me, I'm assuming for you, like, we're old enough now that having to figure out what to do next, we're not doing that for the first time. Right. So we come at it now with a little bit of hopefully some wisdom. Do you feel like you handle that better or or worse or differently? How do you handle that now? I guess the question is, how do you handle that now versus how you handled it? say, in your 20s? I remember um, uh, this was a number of years ago that I was very, very busy and just felt like uh, my email and my phone and phone calls and conference calls were just was almost unmanageable, and I had to make a massive uh, shift in order to do something else I wanted to do. This was... Um, to sort of think about prepare, you know, retooling for the next stage of life and going back for this sort of theological and counseling education. Yeah. And I remember when I stepped down, it was just, it was so disconcerting that my phone wasn't going off, my email wasn't going <laughs> off. I didn't really have all these phone calls and questions of, that people were needing me. Yeah. And it, they, they moved on. Right. They 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 were figuring out. The organization was figuring out how to do how to do it without me. And um, I've been in that situation a couple of times. It's really disconcerting, but I think it's it's very true. And we need to look at ourselves as sort of serving. I'm, you know, washing feet in, in, for for this season. I'm serving others, and at sometimes that's my children. Sometimes that's my wife. Sometimes that's my neighbors. And sometimes it's within a larger organization, and they they pay me for for their work because it's it's a sort of uh, there's a financial you know agreement with it. So going through different stages of life, um, particularly I think on the piece with like a role where you've integrated yourself so deeply in this organization, all of a sudden it stops, and the organization figures out how to do it without you. And you know, I personally, um, you know. My phone, my email, my phone calls, those aren't sort of uh, I'm not invited to those meetings any longer mm-hmm. that that had a, that had, I think, really um, spoke to who am I? What's my identity? Who am I as a person? Am I only of value when I'm in high demand? or am I inva- am I valuable just because of my very creation mm-hmm. and and what what I believe about about God and the world? is that um, each person, whether they're incredibly productive or really don't have the mental capacity or the physical capacity to produce anything, um, mm. everyone's valuable. And um, those instances of massive pivots, I think, pointed me to that truth that I serve for a time. And um, maybe, I'm sure many of your listeners have probably thought, you know, I, I wish people celebrated, or I wish people thanked me, or I wish people appreciated what I did. 
more than they do. <laughs> and I think yeah. uh, you, you put your art or your energy, your creativity, be it in accounting or architecture or songwriting or um, gardening or digging ditches, however you sort of apply your hand to something and you serve the world, you serve others, um, and you don't always can't always control that people are going to come back and say, "Wow, that what a what a great job!" So I felt like often hmm. I was doing these things in anticipation of the affirmation of who I was, and as that shifted, it it's shaking, and it and I think it, it pushes one yeah. to their knees. And I hope, I think podcasts like yours or counselors or people that you can have a conversation with that can say, this is normal. You're not, you're weird, but you're not too weird. You're not, you're <laughs> not weird, like but. not a bad weird. Yeah, <laughs> you're, yeah, this is, this is the way life goes. And I think yeah. people will face similar things during retirement during mm. sicknesses, situations, married or unmarried, I, empty, I yeah, right. I yeah. think there's all sorts of transitions uh, with children, and yeah, we keep changing. The world keeps changing, and our spouses keep changing, and our children keep changing. And and uh, it's important to think through endings and beginnings. You know, oftentimes when when big projects come to an end, people are very susceptible to addiction. And, and returning to some, because there's this letdown, there's this longing for, I think, maybe beauty or something that, that doesn't have a completion. And when a massive project comes to an end, there can be sort of really struggles that come back in someone's life that may have been, you know, put aside yeah. when they were in the midst of the sort of energy and excitement of a big project. So often... Be a time you just, you know, to to be careful as you come to an end of one project, because I think there's a longing in our heart that 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 um, reopens, and we can just easily sort of fall back into you know patterns that we may not yeah may not want. Well, I think you know when you're you you have a whether it's a job a a project as you call it. I mean, even you know certain community relationships there's a connection there and there's a busyness like we have stuff to do we have a reason to move from a to b i mean they they're meaningful but i think it's easy to assign more meaning to them than we should you that makes sense to me why people would jump into a, an addiction or fall back into something when that connection is severed and that sort of reason for doing things that that bustle that energy, I, I, and is I think gone. there's, I think there's a longing for a new creation. Hmm. I think it's eschatological in that there's a longing, um, and when something is lost, maybe that longing is is sort of re re exposed, or not necessarily lost. Just something came to an end. Finishing a a, a bachelor's degree or a master's degree or a PhD, significant finishing a significant uh, an album or an artwork or a novel. Mm -hmm. I would just imagine there's, um, or I've experienced it in some, and and you know you you can chime in on the on the music side, having worked with so many musicians at the end of a big project. Yeah, 
there can be a a bit of a crisis. Yeah. At, at the end. Yeah. All right. That okay. So that was that was it. Hmm. And these relationships or these sort of the things that get me up in the morning, and I'm excited to to take on the challenges of the day because I have a bigger you know vision in mind that's transitioning and it's not going to be quite like it was. Yeah. My emotions were somewhere between um really sad and also really excited, wondering all right, what what means next? What what's next? So I don't want to sort of cast it it's, if it's it doesn't always have to be somber or painful. It can yeah. actually be sort of a mix of Yeah. I wonder what what is this what would what would be next? I have a little window here to try something new. I, I heard Maybe. a yeah. I, a, a wise man once said, "Saddle up your horses. This is a great adventure." <laughs> yes, I <think. laughs> yes. I think. Uh, I, I mean, think, that's kind of what right. There's, in essence, when we, when you look at those situations as, all right, now what? Let's go. Like, you know. And saddling up your house, saddling up your horses with this trail to blaze, it's like there's an energy and excitement with like, hey guys, we're off on an adventure. But I don't know, once when you run out of water or you run out of food (laughs) or like your horse your horse dies. I guess that's where the country (laughs) music. You've been reading my cowboy books, haven't you? Yes, that's where the that's where the uh um the real work a day. It's probably the faith. Yeah, your your faith and fortitude and hope is probably built more in those moments when you're out on the trail and you're wet and cold and hungry and your horse just died. <laughs> then, then like, which which never shows up in that song, <laughs> right? It, it doesn't. It's like at the beginning of the adventure when it's really fun and, and exciting and and you you're you're waking up early, ready to go. And then, um, so, I don't know, just accepting, coming to terms and making a narrative uh, that kind of makes sense to your heart and your mind and people around you that, um, yeah, we're part of a grand story of redemption and we don't know quite what our piece of the pie is. Hmm. And maybe there's a season where we have... um, most of our roles aren't associated with pay, and then maybe there's seasons where uh, there's a lot of pay involved, or you know, there's just I think Nashville ends up with a lot of people that are piecing together multiple things and having to figure out is this the season where I just need to consolidate on one thing and, and, yeah. and do it well, or is this one of the seasons where I do three or four things? Uh, I met with a a friend the other day for breakfast who is doing human relations for a bank here in mm-hmm. or human resources HR for a bank here in Nashville and they you know the the concept of sort of a 35 year career and I was actually I was thinking it was four or five years and he said no we're sort of in two year we're thinking our, many of our new hires out of out of their college time are thinking sort of of career in two-year blocks. Oh my god. And so it felt like wow, they you know people um yeah, our culture's changing in that regard. 
And so I always imagine sort of having multiple callings. You were sort of doing one thing and then that backed up to another and that backed up. And then in Nashville, maybe our current uh, the city that you and I live in, or maybe it's prob- maybe it's just culture around the U.S. or maybe even somewhat around the globe, is many people are doing multiple things at the same time. Yeah, and they're splitting their time between um, something that they're super passionate about and maybe something that that they're not as passionate about, but it really helps them financially. I don't know, kind of piecemealing something together, and we ought to be patient and gracious with people in those transitional times because honestly there's many people I'm thinking about right now that are splitting their time and trying to figure out is this a consolidating time is this mm-hmm. a, is this a time where I need to make a, a massive transition to something else or can I do possibly two things at once there's only been one season of my life where I've had just one job I mean as an adult and it lasted about two years, and and it was that's yeah, the only time I haven't had like five things going on at once. And it was when that ended. It also meant it was the one time I didn't have the other four things to lean on. So I don't know. Someone that puts a lot of money and energy into something, like I'm thinking of a, of a surgeon, they spent really, you know, ten years. Yeah, just studying. Uh, yeah, practicing. I guess they sort of have a. a a sense that that's going to be their life's work, but even that those may switch from doing it private, you know, working privately or in a, in a larger hospital or different, um, yeah, organizations. But yeah, not everybody yeah. is 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 sort of going to do the same thing any longer for thirty years. Crazy. Okay, the first time you and I hung out, just the two of us, we met for lunch at Soy right. Bistro. My one of my favorite places to eat in it's all of Nashville. It's free advertising. Soy I Bistro. I will advertise for Soy Bistro for free any day of the week because it is wonderful. If anybody ever wants to meet me there for lunch, I'm almost always there. And next time um, we could meet at, at Subculture, oh, another one of my good. favorite places. That place is good. The best burger. That hot chicken sandwich is legit. Yeah. Uh, but we met uh, at Soy Bistro where I got my spicy fried rice with chicken, which I love. And... We sat down, and you said to me something that no one has ever said to me uh, when you sit down for a conversation. Usually people are like, so, hey, man, what's going on? What are you up to? You said, so what have you been thinking on recently? <laughs> and I went, oh. <laughs> I think my answer was at the time, survival. Um, right. Uh, but I thought that was fascinating, and it led to a great conversation. Clearly, you're a guy who spends has invested a lot of time in learning the art of conversation. But then we we were kind of talking about the transition that at the time I was going through, and you gave me this image that I put in uh, a song on my record. Right. Um, but that image has been really helpful to me. And I, I'd love if, if you would kind of unpack that again. I think somebody had told it to you, right? I mean, Right, right. My mentor, which... I've got to say he, he's a mentor to to thousands, but um, I look at him as as a as a father, grandfather, mentor type person. But he's he's fits that role for thousands of people. Is a man named Jerem Bars. Have one of his books. Yeah, and Jerem and I were were meeting one day and talking, and uh, he shared with me this, I guess, this thing that Edith Schaefer 
that was back to the yeah. founding of Libre. Yeah. Edith Schaefer had shared with Jerem, and, and Jerem shared with me. And that was this um, sense of crossing a river on stepping stones, or maybe not just a river, but a rushing, uh, a raging creek that you're walking across on these stepping stones, and it's dark. You get a flash of lightning, and in that flash of lightning, you reveal the next stepping stone. And while you're waiting there between, you know, straddling across two stones, it can be really disconcerting, I think, Mm -hmm. um, because you don't know when, there's no assurance of when the next strike of lightning is going to come to reveal the next stepping stone. And so that became something that my wife and I kind of hung on to. And we, I, I looked at, you know, looked up some photos on the internet that would sort of mm. represent that that this this passage across a rushing stream that involves faith and hope and imagination and really imagining that Ephesians 2 is true, that we are his workmanship and we're created for good works and he even creates good works for us to walk into. Well, you, you said that you, I think you said... Right now, I'm grateful that I have a place to stand. That's yeah, that's true. That that was like we're we're in we're in this we're in the midst of something. Yeah, and the nature of life has these um, a, a lot of this. That's a powerful image. Well, man, thank you so much for coming back by and yes, doing this again. Yes. Okay. Um, all right, but before we go. You told me a really really great joke. <laughs> yeah, we can end. We can. We, we, we were. Can end we, on were the joke. Uh, we were. We were. We ran into each other at the uh, the big hill the day it snowed. Our kids were all out there, right? right. Uh, snow. Uh, we were sledding. sledding. It's called. That's, it's called oh sledding. Gosh, I can't think of the word sledding. Right. And um, and you were like, "Hey, I got a really good joke for you." <laughs> Do you remember that? I think I did the Home Depot joke. Oh right, yeah. The guy, uh, the guy goes into Home Depot and he says, uh, "I need some four by twos." And the Home Depot worker says, I think you mean two by fours. And he said, well, let me go back out and check. So he goes out, out to the other workers and, and checks. And they said, yeah, that's right, two by fours. So he goes back in and to the worker and says, yeah, that's right, we need two by fours. And the guy says, uh, well, how long do you need them? And he said, well, we're building a house. I guess we'll need them a long time. <laughs> Such a good joke. I like I like your daughter. Your daughter has some good jokes. She's got yeah. Well, we steal all our jokes from at Young Life Camp. They you do this uh, kind of hoedown night usually, uh-huh. where you tell a few jokes like j- just corny, just dad hee haw jokes, and then you ask the kids. You know, they take kids just shout out these jokes, and sometimes you hear the funniest jokes, and so we just have. We have a catalog of all these jokes we've heard from. Yeah, you need to write them down so you don't you yeah. don't forget. You think I could never forget? That's a really good one. I don't want to forget. My that. My favorite one that we heard last summer was, uh, "What do you do when you see a spaceman?" Well, I know the answer because I got this from your daughter. All right. Yeah. What do you do? Uh, are you park in it, man. <laughs> 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 oh, I laughed till I cried. Another one of my favorites is, um, I want to die peacefully in my sleep like my grandfather, 
not screaming in terror like his passengers. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, it's so good. Okay. Um, I have more jokes I'd be happy to tell you later. But uh, right now, I want you to hear this little bit uh, of our first conversation where we had the interview and then kept talking. And then he started telling me all this other stuff that I thought was so great. So I said, hey, wait, wait, wait. Um, Let me hit record. Tell me that again. And so he did. And uh, here's that little piece of our first conversation. A friend had put you up for a job. You didn't believe that they would put you up for the job. Yeah, you want me to talk recount that? I'd be, yeah, I'd love to touch on that a little bit, and then, and then what you were just, yeah, yeah. Let's let's go back to that for a okay. second. Okay, so, uh, yeah, a friend of mine uh, put my name in to be a senior pastor of this mega church, and I looked at the website and I just was confused. I actually kind of thought it was a joke, and I laughed, and I had this group of men that I was meeting with weekly, and they didn't understand why I was laughing. And I just thought it was a big joke that they were, you know, it was it was silly that I would, you know, be offered that opportunity. And so um, my friend had one of their packets that they had put together, and he gave that to me, and I shared this with my my, my friends, and you know, said this must be kind of a joke, and they said, why, "Why would you think this is a joke?" And it took several weeks of them telling me that no, you you have this ability to connect with people, you have this ability to relationally and emotionally connect. That would be perfect for leading a large staff like this. But at first, I thought, well, um, this person that submitted my name, he must have submitted lots of people's names, and so I went back to him. I said, "Nate, did you?" Um, how many people did you submit for this? And he said, actually, just one. I, I put your name in. And that took a couple of weeks to process. And I thought, well, maybe he's just a poor judge of character. <laughs> and he, and he, you know, and I talked with another friend and I said, maybe he, he just doesn't know me very well. And he's just, he makes these decisions, you know, lightly. And he said, no, he he's generally very prayerful and very, thoughtful about who people are and uh, different personalities and you know and and so it took several weeks of close fellowship to actually start to see myself um internally or to to somewhat to recognize uh, to recognize other people's experience with me was not my own internal subjective experience of myself and so um that's yeah, profound. we need we need other we need other voices, but they have to be trusted, and they have to we have to trust their character and their um, wisdom. But we need those outer voices. Yeah. Well, and then you were saying too that we we don't we don't know the way other people see us, and we have a we have an idea of who we are that's probably as incorrect as other people's idea of who we are, if not more. And so, a lot of times, the things that the things that we need or the thing that maybe the opportunities that are right for us aren't the ones that we're going to naturally assume. And so you were, you were saying, I moved to Nashville about, um, about a year and a half ago and, and didn't know anyone. I knew my wife's family, but other than that, I didn't know anyone. And now uh, I've been able to meet thousands of people 
and that's part that's a lot of people <laughs> related to my to my work. Um, but at the same time, people kept meeting and saying, "Oh, you've you've got to meet Andrew Osenga, or you've got to meet this person. Have you gotten to meet so and so?" And it seemed like week by week, um, I was bumping into just the people that I was needing to to talk to at that time. Hmm. So I was just saying how maybe our lives are structured to sort of live very separate. We're in a driving culture, and so we don't sort of bump into each other. Yeah, uh, out walking around. We shop on Amazon. Right. Yeah. We. Yeah. Yeah. We. We have these methods that keep us isolated. And what I've tried to be intentional to do rather than sort of, I mean, there are times where you just need to lock yourself away in your office and concentrate on the things that you have. Yeah, just knock it out. But I often will do my work in a coffee shop where I know people stop through and you have to sort of be on the field to make a play. And so I just (laughs) put myself out there and end up kind of introduced to, you know, person after person. And what I was explaining to you is that there's this um, um, scripture that talks about uh, the Lord preparing good works for you to walk into. And I try to believe, I try to wake up in the morning believing that there's someone that I might interact with today that, that could be an encouragement to them and they could be an encouragement to me. I don't exactly know who that's going to be. And maybe at the end of the day, I don't feel that I don't know if did that happen at all, but I started my day with that assumption that starting with my wife and my children and those right around me, and then put myself out there and see who who kind of comes along. And it seems to be true. It seems to be working, but often we're so isolated that it couldn't work because we're we're in our own homes or in our own offices. And my work is sort of has some solitary stuff and so I need to put myself out there and I like working in a environment with a little buzz mm-hmm. a little kind of yeah uh, buzz of other people around me at, at a coffee shop or something and so being out on the playing field has allowed me to um, providentially bump into people in ways that maybe I couldn't particularly organized. So I, 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 I email that. people, I have conversations, I have lunch meetings or, or meetings for coffee. And then oftentimes they say, you, you need to meet this person. And so there's a relational organic network that doesn't sort of utilize a mechanical database. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it uh, people often will, will filter through the people that you need to meet in their mental, their own kind of organic structures of thinking and think, well, you... you you really need to meet this person or this person. And so I don't know, maybe that's yeah. just, um, maybe not, that doesn't work for everyone or that doesn't work for every stage of life for sure. But maybe there are people that would be comforted to know that there is something that might from time to time look more haphazard or look more hazy as to what exactly my calling is. And yet um, keeping your eyes open, paying attention to um those that have been put before you in a particular moment, in a particular place, and paying attention and presuming that there's something that you can give to them that might encourage them, and presuming that they have something that they might give to you. Being patient, waiting, listening. It's not rocket science, but it's super rare. Hmm. That's good. 
<laughs> Maybe there's something you can oh, mine exactly. out of that. Ugh. Yeah, Rob, that's awesome. All right, that's it. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you guys for listening. Again, there's a bunch of tour dates coming up. Uh, com slash tour for those. The next single from the Painted Desert should be out in the in a couple weeks. So stay tuned for that. This is such a joy to do. Um, thank you so much. All right, I'll see you next season. Now go do something awesome.